Hello and welcome to listeners new and old alike. This is episode 10 of the Back to the Pavilion podcast, but if you've missed any, don't despair. They're still available for you to listen to in all the usual places like Spotify, Google Podcasts and our host Anchor FM. I do love hearing from listeners, so please get in touch. I welcome feedback, player suggestions, questions you'd like me to ask, or even just to say hello and let me know that you're listening wherever you are in the world. The best way to get in touch is on Twitter, where you can tweet me at, at Lloydzilla. Today we talk to a cult icon of county cricket. He represented Worcestershire in over 250 matches, taking 400 wickets across all formats before, sadly having to retire in 2018 due to a persistent back injury. Since then he's swapped his spikes for ball counters and no longer makes appeals, he answers them. So let's find out more as we welcome Jack Shantry back to the pavilion. So I made my last professional first class game in 2017 but then um, it was actually I played um, a match in 2018 pre-season friendly uh, against Somerset happened to be my last ever game so I um, was struggling and um, you know had all the, the telltale signs of a, of a degenerative back condition so I saw the physio who put me in touch with the doctor put me in touch with a specialist and I think from sort of late February early March into retiring only about three months happened quite quickly in the end um, and the decision was taken out of my hands because that was the, the recommendation of all the you know, specialists and the experts. Um, so once I retired, um, you know, it, it, it was an easy decision to make in the sense that I had to do it. But sort of, but in terms of sort of my mentality and, and changing what I was going to do, it was very difficult to sort of let go of what you worked for your whole life. And w- was it? Do you think it was easier to accept because it was taken out of your hands, or was it sort of harder to accept because it wasn't your choice? Um, well, I, I never would have done it by myself. I would have always sort of gone on as long as I possibly could. So, in a sense, it was good that it was taken out of my hands because it protected my my back from getting worse. Um, and you know, I'm going to have not, hopefully a good life after cricket. Um, you know, in terms of my physical well-being as well as everything else. So that, that from that sense, it was good. Um, and also looking at the plus side. So obviously, umpiring is the way I want to go. So yeah. retiring at the age of thirty. You know, if I can you know, transition now and, and make sure I, I do everything in my power to, to do well at umpiring, then maybe you know, it's better doing it at this age than, let's say, sort of 35, 36, 37. So you've started, you, you've started umpiring and you're on the second team rotor. How close to sort of first-class cricket umpiring are you now? I, I don't know, to be honest. Um, so yeah, on the national panel, and there's, there's a group of probably... Well, there's certainly more than 80 of us on the national panel um, doing second team games, minor counties matches. Um, so I'm doing that, doing umpiring in the Birmingham League as well. So I'm, I'm doing well, I think. I'm enjoying it so far, learning all the time. It's, um, it's a learning curve and I'm really enjoying it. Um, but no, it's got, I, I don't know. We're blessed in England. We've got really good strength and depth with umpiring. Um, mm-hmm. International level, at the top level, you know, there's a lot of English umpires there now. Michael Cox doing really well. And then you've got the rights of Richard Lingworth. Um, I'm missing a few out as well. Sort of, you know, Goffey's a great uh, example of someone who's come from the county game and to become a, a world class umpire now. So we have got some great um, umpiring stocks in the country. Um, but yeah, that's certainly the, the way I'm, I'm minded towards. And how much do you think your playing career helps you when umpiring? Yeah, I think it does give you an advantage. Um, probably shouldn't, um, because obviously you, you should be judged on your decision making as well as the relationships you form and knowledge of the laws, all that standard stuff. 
But I do think, you know, it gives you a little bit of an edge because players either know you or they, they, they think that you know the game, um, which, which isn't true a lot of the time. I know a lot of very good umpires who haven't played at a great level. Um, but yeah, I do think it does give you maybe a, a slight advantage. Do you think the players treat you differently then because you've played first-class cricket? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, possibly. Because um, the cricket family is sort of one big family and you have an in straight away because you've got something, some kind of common ground. Um, obviously, I'm playing second team matches last year. I've played with or against a number of those people. So that gives you a, um, a way in as well. But, you know, those, those kind of small one percenters go out the window as soon as you, you know, make a bad decision or if you... You know, don't don't react in the right way to a certain thing. So, it, while it does give you a certain advantage to start with, you've still got to do all the right things on top of that as well. And how much planning did you do prior to your retirement? How much sort of preparation did you do for your career post cricket? Um, I did quite a bit. I was always minded towards umpires. Did my qualifications while I was still playing. Um, you know, I'd sort of have chats with umpires fairly regularly. Um, so yeah, I was always minded towards umpiring when I retired. But as I say, that, that back injury took matters out of my hands and probably fast-forwarded the process a little bit because I was hoping to you know, play to my mid-30s um, and then have a look and see what, what life after cricket offered me. But yeah, I was always minded when I retired to get into umpiring. And did you? how much support did you get? Um, I think everyone who I've spoken to has raved about the PCA. Um, were they a, a big help when you retired? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. So the, the PDOs, the personal development officers, um, have a big part to play in, in that time in your life. So Lindsay Williams was my PDO uh, and she was fantastic. You know, we had regular meetings. She'd offer you know, support, um, put you in touch with the right people, networking events, trying to make sure you're always you know, planning for retirement because the PCA do drum into that while it's a fantastic life, while it's going, then you know you're never maybe one or two years away from it all ending and making sure that you're prepared for that. And so yeah, the PCA has been fantastic to me. Um, and you know I still have regular contact with with people at the PCA and with Lindsay. And she came to my testimonial dinner at Lords last year, and you know she's she's been you know a huge help to me. So yeah, I would just echo the sentiment of everyone else who's who's been raving about the PCA. Um, and you, I mean, because your testimonial actually ended up being after you'd retired. That's quite unusual, did it? Did it still go as well as you'd hoped with it being after you'd retired? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Um, no, looking back, imagine if it was this year, it would have been even worse because it would have to be uh, being called off with coronavirus. Um, but no, I was delighted uh, how it went. It was a big surprise to me. You know, normally you need 10 years playing. I had, it was my 10th season when I got injured. So mm -hmm. I was you know, thinking in the back of my mind, oh, one more year, I may have got a testimonial year. But as it happened, um, enough people wrote in to, to the board and then they ratified that and, and gave me the testimonial year. So I'm very, very grateful to those fans here, really, um, and, and Matt Hornsley uh, at Worcestershire who gave me the testimonial year. And yeah, they were very supportive and um, yeah, we made a bit of money along the way, which was nice. But more important, you know, have a, have a good farewell to all the Worcestershire fans and supporters and people who came to support the year. You know, we had a really good year. I had the likes of Ian Botham come down, David Gower at Lords. So, no, I, I absolutely loved that, that, that last year. Were there any sort of key events that really stand out in that year for you? Um, so the Lord's Dinner, obviously um, having dinner in the long room and you know, David Gower and Peter Baxter mm. as our guest speakers there. I think I made, made a comment that if 
in my speech in the evening, if you told me you know, 15 years ago I'd have been in this position, I wouldn't have believed you. So you know, I achieved more than I thought I would um, in the game. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's certainly one one of the nights. Uh, Ian Botham uh, recollecting um, his England career and Worcestershire career uh, after play one day between Worcestershire and Durham at New Road. I think we had 200 or 250 people crammed into the marquee there to hear Sir Ian speak. Uh, and that was a great night. Um, so yeah, they'd be the two biggest names. All the, all the games, getting the players together one last time and playing with you know, some of my teammates for a long time was yeah, just, a, just a great year. Did your back allow you to play in that game? It allowed me to field and it allowed me to bat very badly. But no, I didn't bowl. I, uh, I happily sort of slip and let everyone else do, do all the hard yards and I gave my back a bit of a rest. So do you still get down to watch the Chanel to, to watch and still be a part of the club? Um, so I'm umpiring. I umpired a second team game of Worcester last year. Uh, actually, Joe Leach's comeback match. So Leachy and I lived together for a year. <laughs> and um, after I, so I moved to Shrewsbury when I retired from, uh, from cricket. Um, and then, yeah, so last year, my first game as a second team umpire uh, was against Joe Leach playing for Worcester. So we had a bit of a sort of chat about that and recollect all times past. Um, so I've been to see him a few times since. I do a little bit of work for the BBC as well as, as commentator. Yeah. So I did the T20 finals day when they won it. Um, yeah. I've done a few T20 games since then as well. Did the tre- match at Trent Bridge last year. Um, so yeah, I love, love to come back. I think it's a different dynamic when you go back because obviously as a players group, you know, there's the inner sanctum of the dressing mm-hmm. room and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to go back into that dressing room now as a non-player because there is something special about that as the group of players and while I loved my time there, I do think it's time to sort of look forward and being, if I'm going to be an umpire and make it, then I think it's having a healthy distance between um, you know, the players that you play with is, is important too. And you talk about that kind of the dressing room kind of mentality and camaraderie. Do you get that amongst umpires as well, or is it because is it more individual? Yeah, no. You certainly the best umpires they umpire as part of a team. So you know you're still working as a team and trying to get the right decision. So that's important. You probably wouldn't get it to the same level as you would in a in a dressing room. We're having that sort of everyday, like you say, camaraderie, and you know you can share things with players and go through the same emotions. We're not to the same extremes as an umpire, so you never get that back. Um, but yeah, certainly you know, the friendships that you make, you make for life. I'm still in pretty constant contact with a, a few of the boys out in Europe. And you say you've been doing some broadcast work for the BBC. How have you found that? Yeah, loved it. Really enjoyed it. Um, so uh, on some uh, T20 matches for uh, BBC, um, sort of the Five Live Sports Extra. Mm-hmm. Did some of the big bash matches in Australia, commentating off tube. So going up to Salford and commentating through that, which was interesting. Um, and then just some county championship matches as well. Uh, so yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I don't think long term that'll be my my route. I think I'm going to stay with with umpiring, and I can certainly foresee a conflict. But I did a little bit of both. Mm. Um, so yeah, I might have to knock that on the head at some point. How different did you find it? You say like. Um, commentating live as it was to commentate in watching it on screen with the big bash um, yeah on screen it's tough I was, I was only ever a summariser for the big bash matches so you, you, I was working with very good professionals like sort of Dan Norcross mm. and um, um, I'm blanking on the name there Simon Mann Simon Mann yes. is also very very good um, so on, on the odd occasion the screen would go blank or buffer for four or five seconds I'd just sort of 
sit there in silent panic and let my commentator just take things through and they've got to be the one who feel. Uh, so I was all right with that and then I would commentate on this the game. So I found that not straightforward, still find it a little bit uh, nerving, unnerving. Uh, but no, really enjoyed that and, and yeah, push, pushed out of your comfort zone after doing a long, something that you're very comfortable with for a long period of time in playing cricket for 10 years. And um, before we started recording, you said you, you've been working at Shrewsbury School, coaching there. How have you found working with, with youngsters? I uh, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, again, coaching was something that I thought about doing um, when I retired. Uh, so my brother is head of cricket or sports professional, cricket professional at Shrewsbury School. So he runs the first team and, and other teams as well. Um, and he's a fantastic coach. I was level four badge uh, last year. So he's doing very well. Um, I do enjoy it. I do like working with, with, um, with the kids. I find that I'm actually a better batting coach than I am a bowling coach. And I think because of years as a bowler, one, I had an unorthodox action. I wouldn't really, wouldn't wish my action on my worst enemy. So wouldn't want to coach anyone at Shrewsbury School to be uh, bowling like me with the amount they pay in uh, tuition fees. Um, but with batting, I, I sort of prided myself on being able to work out a batsman, you know, from the way he was holding the bat, the way mm -hmm. he set up to certain tendencies he'd have with his, with his hands or, or his footwork. So I felt I was always a good judge of how to get a batsman out. So that, as a coach, that sort of translates as, you know, you, you can spot their weaknesses and try and correct them, even if there are any small things that other coaches might not possibly pick up. And so in that regard, I think I, I could do a job as a coach, but, but yeah, I'm still a long way off, um, you know, doing that as a living. Do you, do, do you ever find it frustrating having played at the top flight then working with youngsters who maybe don't get it as much? Um, no, not really. I mean, I was certainly a late developer. Most of the, the people I work with at the school are, are far better than I was when I was sort of 14, 15, 16. Um, so no, I don't get, I don't get um, annoyed with them at all or frustrated. Um, so I, I just, um, well, if you, if you pick up a different sport, so for example, you try and play golf or whatever, then you'll find that you can pick up so much as soon as you start to go into it. So I think it's actually when you're working with someone who's not particularly skilled at something, well, now that's the best time to get in with them because you can give them good habits to ingrain for the rest of their life. They can work hard at that. And so if you get a, a less skilled person involved, I think that's, that's, the, that's the best time to get them. And that's where you can really sort of put your mark on them. There's certainly a, a school of thought that would say, if, you're, if you've got your best coaches in the country, that it's pointless getting them to work with players when they're 28, 29, 30. Mm get them in working with the youngsters when they're sort of 13, 14, 15. That's sort of the age group that I quite enjoy working with. Yeah, I, I, you know, I agree. I think that the sooner we can get hold of young, talented people and get them progressing is better. I always, I always find it very odd from a sort of from outside of cricket when you look at people being coached when they get to play for England and you think if they can play for England, then how much coaching can there actually be? Surely we should have the best coaches working with the academies to bring them through yeah yeah i think that's a really good point yeah um i read as well that you you're an ambassador for a smart, for a travel company is that is that still the case um yeah 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 smile travel so i got involved with them graham walker is um the man who i got involved with um and yeah i met him i actually did a, a cruise for smile so um it was there were some far bigger names involved than me so it was david gower um, Dean Headley, um, uh, Joel Garner, Malcolm oh, Nash, uh, and myself. So it was called the Cricket Legends Cruise. 
I'm not sure how I snuck onto that one, probably because I was there, I was available. Um, just a little bit of sort of uh, after dinner um, stories and that kind of thing, and a little bit of coaching with the kids. And just a little, little cruise uh, through Northern Europe, um, which was fantastic. Uh, and yeah, so Smile do um, they do uh, cricket tours for clubs, schools, um, all around the world. They do Canter Cricket Clubs as well, kind of sort of Dubai, Spain, um, all around the world really. So I was really impressed when I. Um, when I got to partake in one of their events. Um, and yeah, happy to be an ambassador and uh, yeah, hopefully they'll make a lot more cricketers happy in the future. And you can always now put on all your letterheads, cricket legend. <laughs> exactly right, I've, always start, I've started doing that already. <laughs> um, what would you say were your career highlights on the field, Jack? Um, well, the obvious one, the one I'm probably most known for is a match against Surrey in 2014. So. Uh, we were playing Worcestershire versus Surrey in the penultimate county championship match and we needed to win to get promoted uh, and I ended up scoring uh, 100 batting at number 9 and taking 10 wickets in the match and we won by I think it was 20 odd runs. It was a very, very good game. Um, obviously good for, the, for me from a personal point of view but also could have got us promotion and you know, we looked like we were going to lose that game probably three or four times. Mm. So I think we had, we were heading towards 150, 200 deficit in the first innings and managed to you know, take a few wickets and, and give us a chaseable um, deficit and then came to uh, came to the crease in the third innings of the match. I think we were third, had a lead of 34 and we were seven wickets down, not that I can remember the scorecard. Uh, and myself and Joe Leach whacked a few, um, got us a bit of a lead. And yeah, like I said, we ended up with a lead of about 200 and I got 100 not out. Um, and then we bowled them out. So they were chasing 215, something like that. And they were 100 for two at lunch on the final day. And it looked like we were going to do a, you know, an easy win for Surrey. But then myself and Noe and Ali bowled unchanged after lunch. And then we bowled them out yeah, pretty quickly. And then that was, that was it. The rest was history. Do you have um, sort of off-the-field highlights in the same way that you have on-the-field highlights? Can, when you're umpiring a game, can you look back and think... I had a really good game that game and nailed every decision. And, and does it give you the same kind of satisfaction as it, as it does as taking a wicket? Yeah, I certainly have as much pride in my performance as an umpire. It's really important to me to get the decisions right. Um, it's interesting because you, certainly at my level, umpiring in second team games in minor counties and Birmingham League, there's very rarely cameras there. And if there are, they're not high definition. So the, mm. the thin edges that you either hear or you, or you think come off a back pad or whatever, you're never really you know, ratified with that, so you never find out if it's the right one or not. So you don't get that closure. Um, but yeah, certainly you have. If you, you can tell we've had a good game or a bad game, game generally speaking. Um, and yeah, I tend to be a bit of an overthinker, so I'll always take that game home with me, driving home on the motorway or whatever. I'll be thinking of that game and uh, how I perform. And off the field, I, I know um, I, I know George Debell as well. Um, when he described you as somewhere between, well, somewhere between slow and stationary, um, did that friendly banter spur you on in your bowling career? Um, yeah, that, well, George is only joking, so I, I quite I like that kind of stuff. I don't mind it at all. He also said, I think, um, whenever he watches me bowl, he thought I was, the screen was buffering. That's actually the pace that I was bowling. So he had a few good ones he used against me. Um, no, I think with like any profession, any sportsman certainly, you're going to get your share of critics. And because of the way I bowled, um, 
you know, we're we going to get that. So I think it's, it's how you respond to it rather than trying to fight it. You know, think of a witty response on Twitter rather than going with anger because you, you're never going to beat them off. If you get 10 people calling your names or whatever, then you've got to find a way to either make them laugh or, you know, you, so, you, so you respond in the right way. And I think I was always quite good at doing that. I, I would, you know, it would hurt me sometimes. I'd, I'd take it on the chin if it was constructive criticism and the rest, I'd, I'd think of a funny way to respond to it or, or use it, like you say, to, to spur you on. Um, but the stuff with George, I know was always tongue in cheek, I don't really mind that so much. Um, but yeah, he, was, he's, he is still a very, very good writer and he is. definitely a, a good force for cricket. But then you got to get your own back when you got to bowl at him for an over in 2015. Was that good for Yeah, that was great fun. Yeah, I remember that day. I think he was hungover, but he claimed to be hungover anyway. Um, but yeah, it was nice. For, for the sake of about five minutes, I had the upper hand with him. He's always going to be, you know, he can always be a better writer than me, but in terms of uh, cricket, I had the edge on him. So yeah, it was nice to put him in, in his place, albeit for five minutes. I think certainly watching the video, I don't think he would describe you as slow or stationary afterwards. <laughs> He had him jumping around nicely. Yeah. Um, what would you say were the main differences for you in a in an off the field career as it is than it was for your on the field career? Um, in in terms of what? In terms of how your life goes. Um, like some people have talked about, you go from having everything organised for you to suddenly having to take care of yourself, as it were, or. Yeah, the sure. lack of sort of feedback as well people talked about have you experienced that um yeah i think the thing for me that i preferred to do was, was to keep busy so as soon as i retired from cricket i think within a week i'd organized to start umpiring so the, mm. the, the sense of you know not progressing and just standing still you know i hated that in the thought you know, i just turned 30 you know for the last maybe eight or nine years i've been you know, perhaps learning learning a better way than many of my friends and, and counterparts and now all of a sudden you're off that treadmill you're starting from scratch and your friends are eight or nine years ahead of you on that road to success and so that sort of straight away I thought right how am I going to make that make that work again so I was always you know, motivated off the pitch with cricket and for me it was about finding that way to be motivated again so I found that very quickly with umpiring um, but yeah I think if I'm honest I, I think I did find that hard um, in other aspects you know finding a reason if you you know, if you're not umpiring, then what are you doing in the winter? Finding a reason to get up in the morning. You know, you've got to find a way to, to keep yourself busy and, and, and keep doing things. So, you know, coaching for me is great in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think until I find full-time employment somewhere that I'm really happy, I think you're always looking to fill that void that's left from retiring from cricket. And and do you miss the kind of the 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 banter with the fans as well? The the interaction with the the public as much as you used to have because like we, you mentioned earlier you were you are very, very active and you're always very approachable and friendly with the spectators it, do you miss that level that level uh yeah yeah i do i think what you miss the most is being really good at something i'm really honest so you miss you know you can, be honest, you can still have that you'll still see people who remember you and you should um can reminisce and have good conversations and I, I love you know catching up with, with fans and and other players um but yeah, what, what you miss more than ever is being really good at something that you've worked your whole life towards. And when that's gone, then you, you're looking for something to replace with that. So, um, so yeah, that would be what I'd miss the most, I'd say. I spoke with someone the other day who said they found it very odd that they'd been retired for a few years now, and yet people would still walk up to them and ask them for an autograph, and they would kind of forget that 
they'd had this previous life and why would anyone want my autograph now and then they kind of went oh because I used to play cricket have you had that experience um well I've seen it a lot with my dad actually so my dad played for Gloucestershire in the late 70s and um he'd come to watch me um sometimes at Worcester and I sometimes see an autograph hunter who who hasn't got him in a certain uh who's who from 1979 oh and they they recognize him still so that's that's a nice thing so I have seen that second hand um my dad getting asked um so yeah, um, actually, my dad when he played a game, he played a game against Somerset um, as a young lad, and he was coming down, walking down the steps, leaving the pavilion, and he saw a young autograph hunter there that had played maybe three or four games at that point. But what's this guy, this young boy, waiting for my autograph for? And he got down to the bottom of the steps, and the boy went, "Mr. Chantry, Mr. Chantry, yeah, Ian Botham's up there. Can you go get his autograph for me?" <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I remember I told that story to Sir Ian when I saw him that he did that um, event for me at uh, New Road. He didn't remember it from either. And your dad, having played cricket, did that help you at the end of your career? Was um, you know had his experience provided you with sort of advice and guidance for what to do when it came to the end of the career? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think I do feel quite fortunate because my brother's career ended with a knee injury. Hmm. Uh, and he was hoping to go on for a lot longer. Uh, my dad, actually, um, he had a brain hemorrhage or hit on the head by a, a cricket ball in the days before bounces, sorry, in the days before helmets. Right. Um, and so he retired in his mid-twenties. So at least I sort of made it to a, a reasonable age and got a few games under my belt. Um, you know, I, I feel very sorry for a lot of cricketers who, who, will, who will retire earlier than I did. So the PCA sort of drum it into you that, you know, a lot of people's careers will end before they're 30. You might not think it, but actually a lot of people are out of the game before they've peaked. Um, but yeah, certainly my dad having, having a history in the game, um, certainly very easy to talk to him about anything that you might encounter any struggles um, when you're transitioning out of the game. And do you have um, sort of any memorabilia from your playing days around the house or is it hidden away? Is it something that's out and you're very proud of or is it just kind of very personal and, and in a box in the garage or anything like that? Yeah, I've got a few, um, got a few old signed shirts in the garage from a few of our overseas players. We've got side Ashmal's signed shirt. I think we've got an Australian shirt signed by all the Aussie boys. We played them in 2014, or maybe the year after, before the Ashes. Mm. Um, so you've got a few bits and pieces. I've got a stump from that match against Surrey that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, not a lot else, actually. That's, that's probably most of it. One one of my sort of cricketing foibles is squad numbers. You always wore number eleven. Was that um, did that have significance for you in any way, or does it now have increased significance for you after? Or I, I thought it might get me in the first team. I wore one of the first eleven shirts. I was thirty two for my first year or two. I always played in the second team, but maybe I get a, get a first eleven number. I get in the team. Um, but no, I was I wanted to be a left winger when I was um, a kid growing up. Obviously, number eleven shirt is worn by the, the left winger normally. Um, so yeah, not not no particular relevance or significance. Does it have more significance for you now? Do you see, when you see another number eleven? Do you think, oh, that was my number? No, I don't really actually. No, I know a few people do. People have mm. numbers that, that mean a lot to them, and certain players will, whatever their first number will be, will stick with them throughout their career. But no, I, I was never. No, superstitious is probably the wrong term, but I never was really didn't feel that close to my squad number. And 
if you could give one bit of advice to a player starting out in their career now in cricket, what would it be? Um, work hard would be the, the obvious one. Uh, always work hard. Hard work doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, and just tick every box that's asked of you, really. That's all I did. You know, if it was doing well in a second team game or you know, trying an extra, extra 10% in a sprint training session, whatever it was, just tick every box to everything that's required of you. And doors will, will get knocked down eventually. So um, I, I think, especially cricket's a funny sport because you'll have a lot more days where you do badly than when you do well. And so mm. it's easy to get, um, get down on your bad days. Um, but I think just maintain a level, keep working hard, and then things will happen for you eventually. And what about advice to someone maybe coming towards the end of their career? So, uh, just turned 30, and, and that sounds awful, doesn't it, the end of your career at 30, but yeah. just turned 30 and, and heading into the twilight of their cricketing career, what would you say to them? Just get as prepared as you can. Try new things. Um, you know, for me, I tried a few different things um, on throughout my career, and you know, a little bit of journalism, touched on doing some commentary earlier, coaching, whatever it may be, that you just try something different. And even if it's something you don't want to do, then you want to step closer to knowing what you, what you will do. Um, so, yeah, certainly we've got a lot of downtime in the winter as cricketers. That you can't spend all that time playing FIFA or going around to your girlfriend's house. So you might as well spend some time then, you know, improving, improving yourself, investing in yourself and making sure when you do retire, then you're in a better position than, than you would otherwise be. And what would you say was the secret to a, a happy retirement from playing cricket? Um, that's a good question. I think if you, you should be fulfilled with your life outside cricket, you should be able to you know, disentangle your ego from you know, whether or not you've had a good day on the cricket pitch. So the best players that I saw would react the same whether they scored 100 or scored 0, whether they mm. took 5 or didn't get a wicket. Um, and so you know, it's, you're in a dangerous position if you wed how well you do on the pitch to your happiness off it. Um, having said that, if you retire on your own terms, it's certainly a little bit better, a little bit easier, I'd say. Um, but yeah, you know, you lean on your family, lean on your friends, um, be open and honest with people and, and talk about how you're feeling um, and find something you can be passionate about off the pitch as well. Cool. And last one, Jack Chantry in five years' time, where is he, what's he doing and, and where should we look out for you? Um, well, I'd love to be uh, umpiring. Um, that would be uh, the dream for five years' time. It's a lot of hard work ahead to uh, to get to that stage, but that's hopefully where where I want to be going. Um, and yeah, we'll wait and see. Hopefully, I'll make it. I always have a huge respect and a deep affinity for players who extract every last ounce of ability from themselves. For me, Jack's one of those players and it's no surprise that with that attitude and the way he interacted with fans, he became such a massive fan favourite at New Road and across the county scene. I'm certain with Jack taking those same principles into his post-playing career, he's going to be an equally huge success there. On top of that, if you've never had the opportunity to watch the video of Jack bowling at the superb journalist that is George DeBell, the video is still available on Crick Info. Please check it out. It is a fantastic watch. You won't be disappointed. Next time, we speak to a good friend of Jack's from his playing days at Worcestershire. A player whose story is, I think, as close to unique as you'll find. A man who went from military 
to bowling anything but military medium, back to military, and is now forging a career in esports and personalised flip flops with his year one company. So join us next time as we welcome Graham Sestford back to the pavilion. So that's all from me for today. Take care of yourselves and others. See you next time on the Back to the Pavilion podcast. Bye bye for now.